0: You are Locked On Timberwolves, your daily podcast on the Minnesota Timberwolves, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Welcome, 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 ladies and gentlemen, to another Locked On Wolves podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. As always, your host here, Colt Molesky, bringing you daily Timberwolves content. Make sure to check out the Locked on Wolves fan rig website if you're looking for written content on the Timberwolves or if you're looking for prior podcasts. You can check them out there as well as well as checking them out on iTunes. Today we're talking and recapping Game 2. Tough loss for the Timberwolves. They go down 102-82 in the 20-point loss on the road in the Toyota Center to the Houston Rockets. Of course, the Houston Rockets are the number one seed. We have the Timberwolves at the number eighth seed for the first time there in the playoffs since uh, 2004 for 13 seasons. They had a drought. Now they're back. We're recapping game two of the series, and the managing editor of the SB Nation's Dream Shake page covering the Houston Rockets, Ethan Rothstein, has joined us. He's kind enough to jump on the podcast. Ethan, Thank you so much for hopping on the podcast after Game 2 to help us recap this.
1: My pleasure. Thank you for having me.
0: So I was just talking with you a little bit before the, we started kicking off the recording. You wrote an article, What Does Chris Paul's Game 1 No-Show Mean for the Rockets? You wrote that a few days ago on the April 16th. Really good article following the first game and kind of the, the entire team of the Rockets not really showing up, but James Harden carrying them through. Obviously, in Game 2, if you were able to watch it, you saw Chris Paul really cooking in that game. He had 27 points, 8 assists. He shot 55% from the field, 60% from 3-point range going 3-for-5. Tremendous game for the point, God. Is this kind of what you were hoping for as far as a rebound? Because, like you mentioned in the article... With the with the legacy of being a tremendous point guard, he also has this legacy of these hitches and these problems in the postseason. Did it kind of put your mind at ease seeing him follow up a, a rough performance with six turnovers in game one with the spectacular performance he had in game two?
1: Yeah, absolutely. You know the thing about Chris Paul is that he's been really hit or miss in the playoffs. Most of his career, he's been excellent. His numbers uh, overall in his career are slightly up over his regular season numbers uh, in the playoffs. Uh, But he has had these weird games uh, where he just loses his sense of self. I mean, he's one of the all-time leaders in assisted turnover ratio for high-volume usage guys, and he had four assists and six turnovers in Game 1. And last night, you know, I was was hoping that the fact that he played so poorly in Game 1 and the Rockets still won would kind of free him mentally, knowing that, okay, it's not all on me. Even if, I play, even if I play terribly, the team will, still, this team will still perform to have enough without me. So that is a rela- should be a relaxing shot, And I think that's what happened last night. He played so free. Um, he was so relaxed, especially in the second half when the Rockets really piled on. He was clowning the Wolves. He threw this one crazy teardrop uh, mm-hmm. rainbow layup. And, it, you know, that was kind of an example of just like this is a guy whose mental demons are not bothering him now to say that they won't appear again in game six of the conference finals against the Warriors. Way too early to tell. Obviously they have to get there first. Um, But it was exactly the kind of performance you want to see from a superstar uh, who had a bad uh, playoff opener just to complete reversal.
0: Well, that's the thing that's so troubling about this team is Chris Paul has 27 points. Gerald Green, somebody who I was talking about after game one, he had a quiet performance, and he was somebody who I thought could be a problem and really be worrisome if they played him with a couple of their guards out there. He had a great game with 21 points. And Trevor Ariza with the 15 points and shooting 30% from three-point range, he had a pretty solid game. But you have James Harden with only 12 points. You have Eric Gordon still with only 9. Clint Capella with only 8 points in this game. Everybody who seemed to have a quiet performance in the first game kind of came back with a a solid performance in Game 2. And then you had James Harden. Eric Gordon still hasn't had a big playoff game. Clint Capella with a quiet game. If this team, they all hit their stride in the same game, I don't know what's going to be left of the Timberwolves.
1: (laughs) Yeah, it doesn't happen very often. I mean, the the Rockets shoot so many three-pointers. I mean, last night they had four different guys 10 three-pointers or more. Um, and Trevor Reed hit 3 of 10. James Harden hit 1 of 10. Eric Gordon hit 2 of 10. Gerald Green's the only guy who had even a reasonable percentage. He hit 5 of 12. Um, it's So with that high volume, and the Rockets are not the Warriors. They don't have Klay Thompson. They're never going to be the most accurate team from deep. But the whole concept behind Mori Ball is that the more three-pointers you shoot, the more you make. Um, and uh, just them all hitting at once. Doesn't happen very often, uh, but they don't need it to happen very often. All they need is a couple guys to go off. Um, and really, I mean, the story is not to me the Rockets shooting and the Rockets offense or whatever. It's their defense. Um, they were unreal. Uh, Carl Anthony Towns still hasn't posted a double digit scoring game in this in this uh, in this series. You do not need to remind looks, me of
0: that. <laughs> yeah,
1: Jimmy Butler looks clearly like he's his injury is affecting him. But uh, you know. It seems like the Wolves have just sapped of offensive confidence, and I think that's the Rockets' switching scheme. I think it's Clint Capella's um, relentlessness on the boards um, and contesting shots. And, you know, that's the thing. The Rockets don't need to fire on all cylinders because they have one of the best defenses in the league now.
0: <laughs> yeah, and I wanted to get to turnovers, and I do want to get to Jimmy Butler as well. He does not look well. I wanted to get to that in a little bit. First thing I wanted to hit on, uh, the shooting that you brought up just briefly there, shooting from three for the Rockets, but uh, it's easy to say 30%. uh, Maybe that's a little below what you expect from the Rockets, but they took 52 three-point shots, so when they shoot 30% from 52, that's still a lot of threes going in. They made 16 threes. The Timberwolves only attempted 18 threes. You knew going into this this series that three-point shooting would be a deficit for the Timberwolves and that they need to find it from somewhere, and hopefully they could make up for it with a strong front court and high percentage shooting from inside the paint they were able to outscore the Rockets 46-38 or 46-36 excuse me inside the paint in this game but they only shot 38 percent from the field when Taj Gibson when Carl Anthony Towns just aren't showing up big in the box score, especially scoring does that really neutralize the biggest fear the Rockets could have against the Timberwolves?
1: Yeah, Towns is the guy who can really exploit the Rockets because they don't have anyone who's within two inches as tall as him. Clint Capella, for as great as he is, he's barely 6'10". He's just got great length and great athleticism. Uh, But Towns is an incredibly efficient scorer most of the time, Um, and he's the kind of guy the Rockets like to bait teams into trying to exploit post-mismatches because the post-up is one of the most inefficient plays in basketball. When it's Carl Anthony Towns doing the post up, that's complete opposite. Um, but he hasn't been able to get going, even though they tried to get him going in the first quarter of this game. He just clearly lost his spirit for it. Um, after a while, I think Capella's uh, energy has really, really drained him. Frankly, um, I don't think he's ready to chase Capella up and down the up and down the court. So, without that threat, I'm not worried about the Timberwolves uh, perimeter players. Um, really, I mean Jimmy Butler, he played. 25 minutes last night. He just really does not look right, um, and he's. I mean, Towns is the guy who I'm worried about really exploding the Rockets. And Butler, just his presence um, on both ends of the floor is just a terrifying prospect um, if he's healthy for an opposing team, because he is the kind of guy who can take over a game, you know, in the in the way basically only LeBron, Kawhi Leonard, um, and Kevin Durant can do um, by locking down both ends of the court. But he's not. I mean, he's not playing enough. Um, and you know, he, he, the Rockets have run him into screens and switches. Uh, he only took six shots last night. So if he's taking six shots, Anthony Towns is, or Collison has taking nine shots. What is there to be scared of? Uh, they're not threatening the Rockets with with their best players.
0: Mm-hmm. Exactly. And uh, the other thing too. Early on in this game, you had the Minnesota Timberwolves jump out to a pretty solid lead. They're up by eight points in the first quarter. Ended the first quarter up 23 18. Looking pretty good. But even then, you saw right away, right out the gate, turnovers were a problem. And by the way, Towns, that three he hit in the first quarter, that was really the only time they had need to call his name. Outside of that, he really didn't do a lot. We'll get to kind of the the disturbing play for. Actually, you know what? Let's cover that right now why does he not post up in the paint? Why is he not taking advantage of the paint? It seems clear that the play that they want him to run is to dip into the paint and then run out to the three-point line as quick as possible to try and jack a shot from outside. I have no idea what's going on there. Why is that the play for him? You saw If you were watching the game, you saw during halftime, they were really highlighting some of the plays where he was wide open in the paint and left the area to try and get to the three-point line where there were defenders. You don't have to tell Timberwolves fans that because we've been watching this whole series already and we're screaming, why isn't Towns taking more shots in the paint? If you're looking at uh, at this from the Rockets' perspective, are you just laughing at the, the Timberwolves tripping over themselves and not getting out of their own way? No, I'm not. I, <laughs> mean, I, as it's I, sad, right? I mean, it's sad, right? It's sad.
1: It is. I mean, i I'm, when they're not playing the Rockets, I root for the Wolves. They're a great story this year. They're a fun young team. Uh, you know, Wiggins and Towns um, and the rest of their guys, other than Derrick Rose, really could not be more likable. So I don't, I, you know, I want them to play their best and still lose. <laughs> um, so the fact that they're not playing their best um, it, it, it's sad. I think with Towns, I, I really think that Capella's activity has worn him down. I don't think he was mentally or physically ready for the playoffs. Capella really never plays this much. I mean, he's normally, um, you know, a twenty-four, twenty-five, twenty-six minute uh, per game guy. He played twenty-eight minutes, twenty-nine minutes last night. Uh, he would have played more, weren't for garbage time. Um, and he is sprinting from baseline to baseline. I mean, he's getting out in transition. He's contesting everything. Um, he's swallowing up guards on switches and then getting back, and I think it's getting in town's head because he just does not have the foot speed to keep up with him, um, and I don't think he's really able to overpower him either. He had that one nice hook shot um, right at the beginning of the game, and then every other time he got the ball in the post, um, which was basically only the first half, he was fading away, and he was he was hitting the front rim because he did not. It didn't seem like he wanted to challenge Clint Capella. Um, you know, in the first game, I think you could say more that the Wolves were really not looking for him at all in the post. They looked for him a bunch in the in the early going, and he did not take advantage. Um, and then after that, they went away from him be it because they were getting blown out, and they needed more outside shots, or because he just wasn't looking for it. Um, but I really I I, I give. Capella, a lot of credit for, for what's happening because he's just beating towns to his spots in uh, basically on both ends almost every possession.
0: We're going to get to some sponsors before we continue to kind of give reactions, break down the game two between the Rockets and the Timberwolves. First, some sponsors. The other thing that was really apparent, even from the early going in this game, turnovers for the Timberwolves, they ended with 16 turnovers. Uh, in this game compared to the Rockets, nine. A big, big problem for the Timberwolves. They, it, it kept them, I thought they could have been up by as many as 12 points in that first quarter if they had just been able to keep from turning the ball over. Uh, and it, it really was kind of a story throughout the uh throughout the game, what kind of effect this had on the Timberwolves and how it kind of kept their offense from really starting to hum. That with uh, some of the problems on Jimmy Butler's end, we'll get to him in a second before we get to some of the top takeaways you have leaving game two. First of all, turnovers. How big of a deal was that for the Timberwolves and how big of a deal was that for the Rockets not getting too far behind the eight ball in the er early going here because of the Timberwolves turnovers?
1: It was huge. Timberwolves had more turnovers and assists at the team, which you almost never see. Uh, and it kept the Rockets in the game. I mean, the Rockets forced a lot of turnovers. Uh, Harden had three steals. Chris Ball had three steals. Trevor Reezer is, you know, one of the leaders in steals in the NBA almost every single year. Uh, so part of that is just by design. They have really active hands. I mean, you can see Eric Gordon and T.J. Tucker. They got called for a couple reaching fouls, but they are slapping at the ball uh, constantly whether it's their guy or they're switching out to the guy or, or they're hedging in. Um, so a, a lot of it is just the scheme. The Rockets are funneling the, the wolves into the paint and then slapping at the ball. But you're right. They kept the Rockets in the game early when their shots weren't falling and, and they weren't being assertive enough on, on offense. Um, and they, when the Rockets get a turnover, they're deadly. Uh, Gerald Green hit so many of his shots in transition, uh, you know, Again, as I said, Click Capel is running down the floor. Now he's sucking in more defensive attention, so the more of the shoulder shooters are being left open because the Wolves don't want to get beat by a dunk. Um, and you know, Chris Paul just sliced up the uh, sliced up the Timberwolves a lot of uh, those delay breaks where he'll they'll get the turnover and then he'll slow down a little bit, wait for the defense kind of set but not really, and then he'll attack. Um, so it was just it really let the Rockets um, get into their rhythm. The fact that they kept getting these live ball turnovers.
0: I read an article this morning actually on Bleacher Report about... How Derek—it was a few days old, I believe—about how Derrick Rose is kind of the undoing of the Timberwolves' offense and his plus-minus and his his defensive rating and uh, what he turns into with the ball in his hands and how sometimes he can turn into too much of a ball hog. Uh, All are the undoing of the Timberwolves. The problem is, is if you're looking at the point guards and you aren't satisfied with what Derrick Rose gives you on the floor, Jeff Teague is second. He's tied for second in the NBA playoffs right now in turnovers with four and a half a game. And so, I'm not saying that Derrick Rose fixes all these problems. I'm just saying that right now, every little problem that you could get nitpicky about for the Timberwolves season during the regular season, even when they were playing really well, has all come to fruition in the playoffs. It's all kind of, everything is rearing its head at the exact same time over these two games. It just couldn't happen at a worse time. And speaking of problems for the Timberwolves, Jimmy Butler, definitely not 100%. Every time he hits the deck, it looks like it is just just a horrendous amount of pain for him just to get back up and, and get to the free throw line. He looks like he's got problems with his shoulder. His wrist is still bothering him. I'm not sure if his knee is 100%. This is a guy who really wants to be there for his team. And right now, just physically, he can't be all there because he's not physically all there, does not look like. Really... Unfortunate just for him as a player because you know how much of a competitor he is, but also really unfortunate for the Timberwolves' defense, the, the linchpin of the defense for the Wolves. How, if, you're, if you're looking at the Rockets, Game 2 to Game 3, is this something they have to take advantage of where they know Jimmy Butler is only going to be in here probably 20 minutes and then you can really eat when Jimmy Butler is not out there on the court?
1: I mean, not to be insulting, but that's almost too low level of an issue for the Rockets to worry about. I mean, yeah. they really just have to worry about themselves, their scheme, staying disciplined to their principles because at this point, the Rockets should not be worried about the rest of this series. Obviously, mm-hmm. they have to take care of business and they can't lose focus. But trying to scheme for, you know, the minutes that Butler will or not be in is just kind of defeating the... Point when they have one of the jabs and the Thunder in the next round, and then you know the ultimate goal is the Warriors and beyond. Um, so really, they I think their their focus should be on discipline within their defensive switches, getting their shooters in rhythm, making sure that James Harden and Chris Paul can have a good game at the same time, <laughs> um, and making sure that Luka Doncic is healthy, Ryan Anderson is healthy and and, and, and comfortable. Um, but you know, Jimmy Butler's a great player. Any minute he plays on the court. Uh, the wolves are going to be better than when he's when he's sitting, um, but you know if he's not healthy, there's nothing the Rockets can do about it either way. So really, they just have to play their game because yeah. their game is just too much for the Wolves to handle. The math, uh, yeah, as you as you pointed out earlier, fifty two three point attempts to eighteen. The Rockets is never going to lose a series when that's the discrepancy of three point attempts.
0: No, they're not, and the Timberwolves just are too poor guarding the perimeter to, to really make a difference when even if they are going through a little bit of a slump like you saw in Game 1 or uh, even when players like James Harden going 1-for-10 from three point, the 3-point line are, are facing a little bit of a cold streak. They just don't have enough defense on the perimeter to make a difference against all those 3-point shots. Uh, going out of Game 2, what are just one or two takeaways you have Going away from this game and headed into Game Three, uh, a couple of things that you really latched onto that you think could apply to the next game.
1: Uh, a huge, a huge one is getting James Harden and Eric Gordon going. I mean, James Harden, they don't really need to get him going. It's it's basically just how he's feeling on a day to day basis. But Gordon looks really shaky on uh, on these shots. I mean, he is uh, was the three point shooting champion last year. He was really cold at the beginning of this year for about three months um, and then went out with, um, with you know with an injury over the all-star break and came back and he was firing. Um, and I think the extended layoff in between the regular season and the playoffs, he didn't play in the last couple of games of the regular season as well, has really sapped him of his rhythm. Um, and they need him. Uh, maybe not against the Timberwolves, but when when the goal gets tough, they need someone to take pressure off Paul and Harden. They need him to make his open shots. They need him to be... More assertive. The the layup he got rejected by Gorgie Deng in November. He was dunking that. Um, mm-hmm. He was dunking everything in early season, and he just doesn't have the same doesn't look like he has the same lift on his legs. So that's a concern. Um, the, uh, the other thing is really just the development of Clint Capella. He's been so good all year. Just have him continue to run baseline on the baseline. Have him continue to work on the pick and roll with Harden and Paul, and he's still just 24, or I think on the verge of 24, I think he's not quite 24 yet. He's so young, but he's so talented, and just making sure that his confidence remains sky high. Because last year in the playoffs against the Thunder, even though the Rockets won the series, even Adams destroyed him. um, And he was taken out of it, and Nene had to save the Rockets ass. And then when Nene got hurt in the Spurs series, basically the team looked completely different because, Capella could not really do much against Ketla Gasol and Aldridge, so they need him to maintain this confidence. They need him to maintain his level of play, um, no matter who the opponent is. I know he loves playing the Wolves in town, but they might play Gobert, who he loves playing against, but they might play even Adams, who he hates playing against. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they have to, he's got to find a way to stay on the court against the Warriors if the Rockets get there when they put Kevin Durant and Draymond Green at the box. So really his development and his confidence Um, is among the most important storylines for the Rockets in the playoffs moving forward.
0: Yeah, and for the Timberwolves, I mean, what's there to say? I think really now the thing to do is, I guess, feed Andrew Wiggins. I don't know. I mean, Towns seems uh, seems gassed. He, He... doesn't seem to know exactly what things to take advantage of he's not beating capella right now Uh, he's in a funk butler i just don't think he's healthy enough to carry the offense for this team i think he can do things defensively but i think on offense i just don't even know what the situation is with his wrist how how much he can shoot uh so i'm not sure he only
1: took six shots that's I didn't even believe that when I saw the box score because what is he doing taking six shots in 25 minutes?
0: Well, and that's the thing, too, where... Butler is one of those guys who has no problem taking over the offense right and so when he takes six, six shots even though it's only 25 minutes which is very low for him you gotta think something's really bothering him to make him pass up shooting right you gotta think something is wrong where he's not able to trust his own mechanics in the shot and that's why he's passing up these shots that's the only thing I can think of because Butler is not one to shy away from the spotlight and shy away from taking shots in a big playoff game he's the guy who who takes over the game. And so I got to think something is, is really wrong with that wrist that would force him kind of out of that spot. Wiggins has seemed pretty comfortable. He's had some pretty solid games, shot fairly well, uh, looked okay defensively, done really well actually in transition, I thought. Uh, 13 points the other night isn't going to exactly burn down the the barn doors, but I, I don't know, he seems to be the only one who's actually locked in and actually has found a little bit of a rhythm in this series, which is, is pretty, is a real bummer for the Timberwolves faithful, but I mean, I guess at this point you just got to do what you can to try and at least stay in these games.
1: Well, where's playoff Teague? I mean, I've seen enough basketball over the past few years to know that Jeff Teague is one of the most reliable playoff point guards, you know, under the radar that that there is. He had a great run for the Hawks when they went to the Conference Finals. Um, he was always a better player performer than in the regular season. Where is that guy? I mean, he, that is it, to me, that's like the really the most concerning thing, if I'm a little fan. I mean, doing Butler's health is concerning, but there's nothing you can do about that. You can't scheme for that. I think Towns is just in a brutal matchup with Capella because he's Capella's so fast. I mean, there was a loose ball uh, that I think went out of bounds that Capella and Tyus Jones are both going after. Astros could have gotten the ball, Capella just out-hustled him to it and just like basically walled off because that's how fast he is. He's faster than the Wolves' point guard. But Jeff Teague needs to get going. I mean, he's he, he played 20 minutes, I think, because he got in early foul trouble, one assist to four turnovers. If he if their point guard is not going to be able to initiate the offense, they're going to have more 80-point games because everything's <laughs> got to start with him. The phone out.
0: Would it surprise you if two months from now, a month and a half, we had a story break from like John Krasinski's The Athletic or something like that where uh, it comes out that Butler's injuries were really way worse than they let on and that he could barely do anything in these playoffs and he was in constant pain and you found out all this and so then you look back at and you kind of see it as oh well, this whole team thought that they got back their superstar for the Nuggets, and he looked great, and then they went into the playoffs, and the t- team doctors and the coaches told them, oh, Butler is basically hobbled for this entire playoffs, and they thought, oh, well, then we don't have a shot, and they're kind of playing to that. It just seems like everything is out of sync, and this team, they played kind of, they had great, good games. They had great games. They beat the Warriors and the Wizards. They had good games when Butler was out. There still is a team here without Butler, but they're not playing anything like that. And like I was saying before, everything that you kind of nitpicked these players for, even when they were doing well in the regular season, has really just reared its head in the postseason. And it just feels like it's one of those situations where you come out and and you, uh, it comes out that the the team was – was not in it because they found out Butler was in such worse shape than they originally thought i, I don't know maybe maybe I'm totally wrong, but it feels like something could I would like be surprised
1: that if we didn't see a story like that because there's just no way he's no way he's right i mean it, it 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 is clear that he is just not jimmy buckets right now mm-hmm. um so if if there was not a story that he if, if the story comes out that he was perfectly healthy, that's almost more' definitely more of a surprise and it's almost more of a concern because than then what's going on well a question I have is that like if, i mean you know, in the third quarter, this game was not lost. I mean, being down twenty something in the third quarter, teams have come back from that in the playoffs before. They kind of just quit, though. I mean, it, it's almost like they didn't realize that they're playing for their playoff lives. They need to steal a game in Houston. There was just no fight in them. You know, as, as soon as uh, you know Chris Paul basically started dicing him up, there was they just quit. There was no hard fouls. It, you know, it's old school NBA. But Reggie Miller pointed out, it's true. Like if you're getting beat, like, and you're, you're giving up these layoffs and letting Chris Paul clown you, like, this is the playoffs. That's the time to hard foul someone, and it just seemed like they quit, which might be the most concerning thing of all.
0: Well, and that's, too, the problem with this team, uh, going back to the three-point shooting, when you not only aren't a very good three-point shooting team, but it's not even that you're not making them. It's that you don't really attempt that many three-point shots. I believe if memory serves, they averaged... Uh, now, you can check this on NBA.com, but it, it was like 21.5, 21.7 uh, three-point attempts per game in the regular season, and it ranked like 25th in the NBA, 26th, really close to they the bottom. Were, they are t- I remember previewing the series, they were dead last in three-point attempts. Dead last. So, so they dead. did beat dead out last. the New York Knicks for dead last. I knew that was one of their top contenders, but... Uh, they are a team that once they get down they can't they literally can't find it in themselves to shoot back into the series not even that they they can't try their offense is not built around three point shooting so when they get down by 20 points it's hard for this team to get back into it because their their system isn't built to get back into it they're not taking the shots required to get back into these games so when they're down by 20 points in the third quarter that's kind of a death sentence for the Timberwolves
1: yeah, uh, it, it certainly looked like it. They looked dead uh, midway through the third quarter. I, I had even it got down to like nineteen or twenty with plenty of time left, and I had no fear that they were coming back because they had no intensity, no drive, no spirit. They just looked completely done.
0: No, they really did. It was uh, it was unfortunate. And hopefully they show more life headed into Game Three. They'll be at home, so hopefully the home crowd can kind of bolster this team to maybe at least staying in some of these games for the rest of the season or the rest of the series. Excuse me. Uh, heading out here, anything, anything on the Dream Shake website that you want to plug, Ethan? Before we leave,
1: yeah, uh, we got a great story. Uh, you know, this morning about how the Rockets only really need one of Chris Paul or James Harden to go off. To- to, to win um, and basically look out if they, they go off together. I'll have more great stuff coming up uh, the next few days before games here on Saturday. Um, and I'm I'm really excited to see the first uh, home game, home playoff game in Minnesota in 14 years. The uh, the crowd's going to be awesome. Uh, if it wasn't a game at this point, it's going to be game three, uh, and I can't imagine the intensity will not pick up a lot with the home crowd behind him. Uh, when the Rockets are hitting threes, especially when Gerald Green is hitting threes, the Houston crowd is it's really tough. It's not one of the best uh, crowds in the league traditionally, but the fact that Gerald Green's a Houston guy, the fact that he's a gunner when he's hitting threes, the crowd just—it's—it's it's, it's a different noise level, and I think that also got on the wolves' set. So, having the crowd behind you for like a young team, I think—I uh, think it'll be a really spirited game. I—I I, my I, my guess is it's as close as game one than game three.
0: I that's what I'm hoping for. That's what I'm hoping for is that that crowd can get help get the Timberwolves squad back into this series. Uh, definitely go check out the Dream Shake page on SB Nation's website also check out Locked On Rockets if you're looking for more Rockets content Uh, they're part of the Locked On Podcast Network as well and thank you Ethan for jumping on the show thank you to the listeners for tuning in to another Locked On Wolves Podcast part of the Locked On Podcast Network You are Locked On Timberwolves your daily Minnesota Timberwolves podcast part of the Locked On Podcast Network